0: and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Lily. Lily, this is your second episode on the pod. Last time you were on, you told us how you first got into the series. So now you get to answer the second guest question, which is, who is your favorite character and why?
1: Yeah, so I gotta say Aries, because I mean, I just love a big fluffy bat. But also, I think I just really admire his loyalty and his, like, morals, honestly. Like, the way he just, like, knows what he cares about and stands by that. I don't know. I'm a pretty loyal person, too, so I think I just relate to that. And I'm, like, super obsessed with, like, doing the right thing. So, I don't know. I just think I related to him and also wanted a big giant bat of my own.
0: That's so real. (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't you just like love to take a nap flying like Gregory mm-hmm. does? I love when they just nap on the bats in these books.
1: Yeah, I know. That happened like a couple times in the chapters for today, and I was just like, oh, to kick back. Yes. Plus, like, you wouldn't have to worry about driving or biking anywhere. I like, know, right? just ask your bat for a ride. Yes.
0: No, I think Aries is a great choice for a favorite character. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Alright, today we're covering chapters 17 and 18, in which Gregor and the squad escape from the Spinners. So where we last left our heroes, they had just been trapped in a giant funnel of silk. Chapter 17 starts with Gregor asking if this is happening because the Regalians are at war with the Spinners. Marith says they're not technically at war, but they're also not friends with the Spinners. Gregor asks... So, did everybody know they would lock us up except me? And the narration says, He was getting tired of finding out about things after the fact. (laughs) Which he's so valid for. Because (laughs) no one is ever giving him the full story. Mm -hmm. Vicus apologizes and admits he was being too optimistic. Gregor doesn't want him to feel bad, though, so he assures him that the spiders respect him, and he knows because... They stopped trying to eat Gregor when he mentioned Vicus's name. This cheers Vicus up a little, and he says, Where there is life, there is hope. And Gregor tells him that this is exactly what his grandma says.
1: It's so cute. Yeah,
0: it comes back, I think, a few times. I, I don't remember exactly where, but it is a good like theme of this book. Mm-hmm. Just that, where there is life, there is hope.
1: It's a good motto for our own lives, I think.
0: I agree. <laughs> Boots interrupts with diaper needs, and Gregor realizes he's almost out of catch cloths. Solovet says the spiders weave all the Regalians' catchcloths and clothing, and we learn they can make six different kinds of silk. So all my life, I've thought that this thing about the spiders producing different kinds of silk was just a made-up feature of giant spiders in this book, but I looked it up and apparently it's real. Why? Like, spiders can actually do this. There's also a whole Wikipedia page on spider silk, uh, which is quite a wild ride. It says, a single spider can produce up to seven different types of silk for different uses. Wow. Yeah, which apparently is unique to spiders because other silk making animals only do like one type like silkworms or whatever Mm. Um, but spiders have multi-purpose silk and this wikipedia page actually has a list of different silk uses it's amazing i went down a bit of a rabbit hole looking at it wait what are the uses um i can't get into all of it here but I do recommend looking it up if you want to learn about how spiders can use silk as a food source, as a means of reproducing, and as tripwires. What? <laughs> These spiders are really sophisticated. Like, there's some spiders out here doing like engineering feats with silk. Yeah. It's really wild and also kind of scary if you don't like spiders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's really cool that the spiders like trade their silk yeah and not only do they like produce the silk but they turn it into things too I don't remember if it gets into it later but like I want to know what they're trading for like I guess it's probably food or something but Mm -hmm. like I mean spiders don't generally have a hard time finding food though so like I would want to know like what is so enticing to put all the effort in of like producing something that comes from your body and turning it into something for human needs that like you don't care about as a spider.
0: You're so right. I had never considered that that they're really out here just making textiles for the humans. Like it would be one thing if they even just provided the raw materials to the regalians and yeah. then the regalians made it into clothing and stuff, but like they just deliver whole catch cloths to the humans which implies that they make them like that and trade them as like a finished product.
1: Mm -hmm. That is wild. Also, like if they're giant spiders, like how are they making like tiny baby diapers?
0: I think that they must have a lot of dexterity. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I think that they're probably very precise. But that is interesting that they are treating silk like a resource, like a liquid asset. That's like really cool, actually. But also, you're right. Like, what do they need to trade for? I've literally never considered that. That's really awesome. It's like
1: an entire society donating like blood for some kind of like monetary yeah or resource gain.
0: Yeah, it's not like they even harvest it. They just have to produce it. Mm-hmm. Wow. We don't learn enough about the spinners in these books. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they literally are just in this first book, and then there's like a little bit of a spinner character in the last book, but we never learn more about the spinners as a society. What a shame. I know. That's got some untapped potential.
1: <laughs> she needs to make it a second series, like, like Rick Riordan did.
0: Yes, I agree. I have thoughts about Heroes of Olympus that we won't get into on this podcast. Same. <laughs> Actually, we should talk about this some, <laughs> some other time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there needs to be some more spinoff series for Gregor because there's just so much that is unexplored. The humans ask the spinners for more catch cloths and they're kind enough to send down two dozen along with baskets of water. So Lovett goes around patching up wounds, and Luxa, Henry, and Mereth watch closely as if she's teaching a class. So this made me wonder how old Marith is, and I did some math to try and figure this out. So I think that at the very youngest, Marith is like 25. And my reasoning is that he was a soldier at the same time that Hamnet was, and Hamnet is Luxa's mother's twin. And even if Judith was young when she had Luxa, like 20-ish, that would make Hamnet like 30-ish now. But Merith could have been a teenager when he first started serving in the Regalian army. Thus, perhaps he is as young as 25. Hmm. But since he's still an active soldier and he's still learning like medical lessons from Solovet here, I don't think that he is like, middle-aged yet. I think he's probably still
1: a young adult. Maybe, though, alternative theory. They're Mm -hmm. all, like, more so admiring her work.
0: Mm. Like, they don't
1: get to see skilled healers very often. Mm. Like, maybe Marith could, like, quick stitch up a thing or, like, you know, stop blood from flowing. But, like, maybe she, I mean, there's no indication of this, but maybe maybe she's, like, doing it more skillfully than, like, a... Strict warrior would do. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah. I get the feeling that the reason that Luxa, Henry, and Merith are all watching closely is that this is just like information that soldiers need to have Mm -hmm. in general. I'm not sure if it's like something specialized. It feels to me like Solavet is just taking the opportunity to be like, here's some first aid knowledge. And like Merith might even already like know this but he's still kind of, like, taking the chance to learn mm. or, like, make sure that he knows. I don't know. Or brush up on it, at least. Yeah, exactly. But he's definitely not as old as Solovet. Mm-hmm. So he's not, like, grandparent age. Personally, I like to think of him as being the same age as Hamnet because I think they were boyfriends. But that's just my own agenda.
1: Wow, I love that.
0: <laughs> when we get to the third book, we can talk about <laughs> my
1: theory. I can't wait. Yeah.
0: Solovet soaks a catch cloth in water and gives it to Gregor to hold on his face where the spiderweb ripped off earlier. It burns, but Solovet tells him he needs to wash the glue off before it festers. And as a kid, I don't think I knew what the word fester was, but this gave me a pretty good idea and the word does sound awful even if you don't know what it means.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, festering wounds are pretty bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I did not know exactly what that meant as a kid, but I knew it would be nasty. Solovet says it'd be more painful but over quicker if Gregor splashed water on his face, so he just dunks his whole head into a basket of water because he's fucking hardcore.
1: (laughs) Can we talk about how he screamed silently? Yes!
0: (laughs) Yeah. When underwater, when he dunks his head in. Yeah. 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 Gregor's so funny. I love that he took the option of more pain, but over quicker. I don't know. I feel like that says something about him as a person that he is willing to like go through the intense agony and like kind of rip off the band aid quick and get it over quicker.
1: Okay, English major. Yeah, well, it's like.
0: say something like he could have chosen to be like no I want to do this as slowly and painlessly as possible and like not have to experience this like intense feeling in order to just get it over quicker I feel like Gregor has so much I don't know what to call it exactly it's in line to me with like his emotional intelligence like this is almost like I was gonna say it's like the marshmallow test like, that you learn about in psychology, but it's not. But it's, like, the knowledge that Gregor has that even though it hurts, it's gonna hurt a lot, it'll be better in the long run to get it over with. hmm Because, like, other kids might not have that reasoning, but he's just like, let's do this, like...
1: Some adults don't even have that
0: reasoning. Right, right. They wouldn't be able to do it. He's just
1: got a lot of resolve. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of... He's just hardcore. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think if there were, like, guns in this and he got shot, he'd be, like, the kind of person that, like, digs out the bullet Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, like in the
1: action movies. (laughs) Yeah. Just, like, forking it out. Yeah. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a lot of stamina for, like, what he's going through. Mm Mm-hmm. Very true. He's had to put up with a lot, and I feel like that's made him very, like, world-weary. Solovet asks if the crawlers need any medical attention, and Boots points out Temp's bent antenna and says, Temp (laughs) boo-boo. It was very helpful of Temp to get minorly injured in this way because this bent antenna becomes his one defining feature for the rest of the series. The narration says... Gregor was sorry Temp was injured, but on the plus side, he could now tell the roaches apart. <laughs> I love it. Cuz like every single time we meet Temp the rest of the books, he's always identified as the roach with the bent antenna. So, it was really nice of him to like get this little quirk in his physical appearance early on. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Even though he says, like, no, princess, we heal ourselves. He literally never heals.
0: Right. Right. It's bent forever, even though, yeah, he's, like, better and functional. It's still, it's still bent. Yeah, Temp tells Boots not to worry because they can heal themselves, but she doesn't understand and she gets kind of upset. She tends to throw tantrums when she's tired and hungry, so Gregor gives her one of the cookies dulcet packed for them. Tick asks if Boots hates them, and Gregor tries to explain that she's just throwing a fit, but the crawlers don't seem to understand. The narration says, Baby roaches probably didn't have tantrums. Which is so true. Like, I'm sure that Temp and Tick, like, have no idea what's going on with Boots.
1: Roaches probably aren't babies for very long. No, probably not. Like, one day? (laughs) I should have looked that up. I'm gonna Google it right now. (laughs)
0: A cockroach is called a nymph as a baby. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: A baby cockroach is laid as an egg and hatches about 20 to 40 days later. It remains a nymph until it reaches adulthood. How long does that take? I need to know now. (laughs) Oh my god. About 600 days. What?
1: No. Really? Yeah, this is
0: two years This is according to Cockroach Life Cycle on some Pest Solutions website. It says, it takes about 600 days for an American cockroach to reach adulthood from the egg. That's like two years.
1: So they could have the terrible twos. Yeah. Wow. How long do
0: cockroaches live? How long do cockroaches live? That's a really good idea. That's a good question, too. (laughs) How long do roaches live? What the fuck? This is... This is bullshit. It says about one year, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm. I don't know what to believe. Some living almost two years? I don't fucking know. Okay,
1: this one, Western Pest, says the nymph phase is one to three months.
0: Okay, that makes more sense to me.
1: But it does say the cockroach lifespan is relatively long. Relative to what? I don't know. (laughs) Relative to other bugs?
0: Okay, if there are any bug expert audience members, you need to
1: tell us what the truth is. Here it says they live six to 15 months. Cockroaches do total. Okay. So, and then the nymph life cycle is one to three months as a nymph, and then like 15 months total. 15 months total. Interesting. But that's for a small roach. You know what's interesting in the though? Overland. Yeah. Here's a h- massive plot hole. Okay, in this whole series. Okay, I'm ready. In the real world, uh-huh, bigger things live shorter periods of time mm. than the small thing, like smaller counterparts. Mm-hmm. Bigger dogs live fewer years than smaller dogs. Oh yeah. taller humans really live less time than shorter humans.
0: Interesting.
1: There must be something going on with their hearts. Mm -hmm. Like their hearts must be pretty distinct Mm -hmm. from like their smaller counterparts. Because there's no way that like if it was just scaled up, it wouldn't be able to keep them alive. You should look up whales and how they're able to stay alive for so long. Because there's actually been a lot of research because... It's like kind of outstanding if we look at other species, uh-huh. how whales are able to survive for as long as they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about because that. Because the bigger the, the animal, the harder the heart has to work yeah. to keep it alive. That's yeah, why tall humans often have heart attacks and die from heart attacks <laughs> in their 60s. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. It's happened to a lot of really, really fit people, uh-huh. like basketball players oh, wow. and things like that. Wow. <laughs> You've given me so much to think about. <laughs> no, yeah. Let me just nerd out for a second. No,
0: I love it. I love it. Because it all depends on like what is the mechanism that makes these animals big. And there is no answer to that. It's just like a book. But like I really do want to figure out the logistics of what made them big and... I need to tell you about this conversation I had actually with my family. I had dinner with my family and we were talking about the books. And my mom gave me this galaxy brained take because she had to listen to the audiobooks with me and my brother as kids. Like we would put them on in the car and like she would also have to listen to them. So she kind of knows the plot, but like she was probably only paying like a little bit of attention and it was a long time ago. So at dinner the other night, she says, oh, I thought that the humans shrink when they go to the underland. And I was like, no, they don't. The animals are just big. And she's like, what? They don't, they don't shrink? Like when they go underground? Isn't there like magic that shrinks them? And I'm like, no, where did you get that? But then I was thinking about it more. She said, then how is there all that room underground for all those giant animals? And I was like, wait stop making sense (laughs) (laughs) no that's true because there's no there's nothing that is saying that these humans are shrinking because like their clothes are also shrinking i know everything that they bring is also shrinking and like that's true aries gets pretty close to the surface when he drops them off and stuff and the the bugs like come up and steal boots like there's no way that the humans are actually shrinking, but I did really, really love that
1: like conspiracy theory that my mom had. No, that's really good. <laughs> um, like I could see some kind of magical process as you're falling for like, how many minutes was it? Like 20 minutes or something?
0: I don't know if there was an exact number, but it was like
1: a long time. Yeah. And you're just slowly shrinking as you fall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think if it was just that one entrance in the laundry room, that would make more sense. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the entrance in, like, Central Park that they go through and the animals go through. It's just really funny to think about my mom this entire time, thinking that they were just shrunk down. <laughs> I just thought of another
1: thing. Yeah. Um. How are all these beings so healthy, like, obviously could have adapted to it, right? But how is Gregor not having problems breathing underground? Like, the air is not circulating. Also, where is the oxygen coming from? Literally. Like, obviously, soil is not anaerobic, but the pockets the air goes through in soil are so, so small. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's no way there... Like, There would not be more oxygen coming down. Right, right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think if we really got down to the science, it would be impossible for all of this to be happening. Like, there's no scientific reasoning that we could twist to make this actually happen. Yeah. Even just the fact that, like, there's humans down there, like, they would all get sick and die from not having sunlight.
1: How dare she write a fantasy (laughs) novel not based on science? Yeah, yeah.
0: How dare she not think through all of the scientific phenomena that could have contributed to this world yeah (laughs) god that was a great tangent though (laughs) so vicus whispers to gregor that the spinners might pass on information about them to the rats so they should escape as quickly as possible gregor agrees and starts to ask what the plan is but boots comes up and pinches him demanding another cookie he tells her cookies are not for pinchers, and that makes her march away angrily. He's right, though. He's right. You can't give cookies to pinchers. They're just going to keep pinching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gregor asks why they can't just slice open the web, and Solovet explains the spinners would repair it too quickly and attack with their fangs. And fleeing upwards won't work either because the spiders will leap on them from above. She says the only way to get out is to damage the web so fully and quickly that they can't repair it. And she suggests that someone perform something called the coiler, which sounds dramatic as hell. <laughs> Everyone looks at Luxa, and Aurora touches her head to the back of Luxa's neck. Luxa says they can do it, and Henry agrees. Marith says they'll need a distraction and offers himself up as a target, but Solovet vetoes that. I love that Meredith is just, like, ready to die for this. He's just like, I'll, I'll do it, guys. I'll take one for the team. Yeah. It's all it. It has to be like, no, your leg is injured. You can't. <laughs> Vicus says it's too bad they don't have any horns because the spiders are very sensitive to noise. Boots starts to kick Gregor's legs, and he asks her if she needs a timeout, which just makes her even more upset. Gregor says, you need a noise? I've got a noise for you. And wrestles Boots into the backpack. He asks if everyone's ready. And as soon as they confirm, he shows Boots a cookie and makes sure she can see him stuff it in his mouth. (laughs) Boots shrieks and Luxa and Aurora take off. Gregor watches in awe as Luxa performs the coiler. Which involves holding her sword out and spinning around the funnel to shred the spiderweb. Everyone else follows Luxa upwards, and she covers for them at the top of the web as they escape. Suddenly, a web shoots out and pulls Luxa off Aurora's back, and Queen Wevox begins reeling her in toward her open fangs.
1: Dun, dun, dun. That's the
0: end of the chapter. Such a cliffhanger. Ugh. <laughs> Such a good visual of, like, the web just, like, snatching her <laughs> Lily's making the (laughs) Spider-Man fingers, web-throwing gesture.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: it's such a a visual of, like, the web grabbing onto her and just, like, she's being, like, yanked off of Aurora and, like, I can see it so vividly, just, like, Mm -hmm. the fangs of the Spider-Queen opening to receive Luke's neck. Like, that Mm -hmm. line just sticks with me. I just want them to make an animated movie out of this so badly.
1: Yeah, I actually found um like the first chapter animated on YouTube. Have I you seen might that? have
0: seen this. Is it him meeting the cockroaches? Yeah, I've watched that. That's a good video. Mm-hmm. I'll post that on Tumblr um, for sure. It's really good. Yeah, it's, like, 3D animated and Mm -hmm. stuff. It must have taken forever to make that if it's just, like, one person making it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, when I saw that, I was was out of my mind. I was like, it can be done! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a chapter. I also just love the, you need a noise, I've got a noise for you. I know,
1: it's so funny. Weaponizing a toddler's meltdown. Yes. And just, like
0: making sure that she sees him eat the cookie and just like taunting her with it and he just knows exactly how she's gonna respond and she's like screaming.
1: Boots is like such a good kid though because for the majority of the time she's chill with absolutely everything. Yeah. And when she isn't chill you can use her. Exactly.
0: (laughs) She's special weaponry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh yeah, no. And after this, she just kind of, like, crashes, and um then she wakes up, and she's just, like, happy again. Yeah. Ugh, it's so cute. We'll get to that. So chapter 18 starts, Luxa is seconds away from dying. She's trying to bite through the web attached to her arm with her teeth, which is- <sighs> So visceral. That's raw, right? Yeah. Like, she's so desperate. She's just, like, trying anything to get out of this. Gregor desperately searches around for a weapon and finds the can of root beer in his pack. He shakes the can with all his might and cracks it open so the root beer shoots out and hits Weevox in the face. She drops Luxa, and Luxa gets caught by Aurora. At Solivet's command, the Underlanders fly in a buzzsaw-like formation with their swords out. They escape, and an exhausted Boots falls
1: asleep on Gregor's back. Can we talk about the names of their moves though? Yeah, boiler and blade wheel. Blade wheel.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, I love their silly little made up formations.
1: Also, blade wheel is like a um, a circulating saw. Uh huh. They liken it to like a circulating.
0: Yeah, saw. yeah, like a buzz saw thing. A buzz
1: saw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They liken it to a buzz saw, which they don't even have. Yeah. So like. I don't know. I think that's interesting.
0: Maybe they have their own version of it. But yeah, no, I love that they have these, like, predetermined moves that Solovet can just call out, like, what to do. And they all know what it is because they've all trained the same way. And yeah, it's really awesome.
1: Also, also, like, Loopsa kind of, like, expands on this in a second. But they literally train for situations in which they are stuck inside of a spider's I know, right? Because the coiler is specifically for that. Yeah, I don't think I had realized that. Yeah. Like, later she... We'll get to it. Yeah. But, like,
0: yeah, no, I had not realized that it's, like... This isn't a move that you just pull out whenever you need it. Like, this is specifically if the spiders put you in a funnel prison. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the whole root beer thing, too, is just so iconic. This is, like, one of the handful of scenes that just has stuck with me forever and ever. It's, like, the most iconic thing of Gregor just pulling out the root beer. Because he just grabs it, like, on a whim when they're leaving regalia, and he's like, oh, this is just for funsies. But, like, suddenly it becomes his, like, special weapon, his special power. yeah. The group flies for a long time before landing in a vast cavern. Everyone is totally wiped out and terrified. Gregor asks, So isn't it time I had a sword? Which makes everyone laugh. Boots wakes up and asks, Where's Spider? Which sets everyone off again. And Boots repeats the question to get them to laugh even more. I love that Boots is one of those kids who just like, wants like, laughter and applause and attention
1: bro probably because her family was devastated (laughs) yeah she's like we need to get some laughter up in here i just need to entertain them like yeah yeah distraction distraction yes
0: but like she says something and then she realizes that that's like getting a positive reaction Mm -hmm. from people and she's like i'm just gonna say it over and over again yeah i think that's so so cute. cute While everyone relaxes and Vicus prepares dinner, Gregor goes over to Luxa, who is sitting by herself, and she's still shaking. He asks how she's doing, and tells her the coiler move she did was really cool. Luxa admits it was her first time in a real web, which is how we learn that... She's trained for this exact scenario before, but not in a real web. But, like, everyone apparently just knows that, like, this is something that can happen, so you might as well know the coiler so that you can get out of a spider web. It's intense. Yeah. (laughs) Gregor explains that spiders are really small in the overland. This leads to them kind of joking back and forth for a bit, and finally she thanks him for saving her life. She asks about the root beer, and he takes a drink to show her. I love the idea of Gregor just holding on to this half-empty can the entire flight to where they are now. Like, after using it as a weapon, he's literally just holding it in his hand, like, the entire ride. He's probably, like, in shock. Yeah, I bet that's it. I bet he's just, like, so in shock. He I mean, he doesn't have anywhere to throw it away. He probably doesn't want to just, like, drop it somewhere. No
1: recycling cans. Yes.
0: Luxa is alarmed at first, but then she tries it herself and she likes it. Gregor tells her she can have the rest and admits he owed her for saving him from the rat when he tried to escape. Luxa apologizes for hitting Gregor that night, and he apologizes for calling the Underland creepy. She asks if he thinks she's creepy, and he tells her no, she's just difficult, and she says the same about him.
1: Mm. I love
0: this conversation (laughs) so much. It's so cute. This is like the first time that it's just the two of them talking
1: together. Yeah, and we talked about how she's like so easily influenced by Henry. Yeah, and now that she's
0: separate from him, it's as soon as she's separate from Henry, it's like apologizing for this, thanking him for this, like suddenly so genuine and they're really seeing eye to eye.
1: Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. It's so cute. It's so
0: cute, and it's just the beginning of their friendship in which they are constantly saving each other's lives. hmm Ugh, it's the best. I-, I also just love how they both are basically calling each other stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> it's just cute. Like, they're both acknowledging that the other one is difficult, but I don't know. It's just super cute that they're both, like, they're both very strong-willed people.
1: Definitely. But they're, like, really equal in this moment. Yeah. Because, like, he showed her what he... I mean, she just wasn't noticing it before. It's not like he hadn't shown her what he's made of before, but, like, you can't really ignore it when someone literally saves you from death.
0: Right, exactly. Vicus calls everyone to eat, and Luxa shows off the root beer. Everyone tries a sip, and when it gets to Boots, Gregor figures she'll finish it off, but she ends up pouring out two little puddles for the bats and the crawlers. Vicus says, I believe Boots to be a natural ambassador. She treats all with an equality I myself aspire to. Which is so cute that she thinks of the animals, too. She's like... They can't hold this can to drink from it, so I'm just going to pour them little puddles.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. It like really shows how kids are just like... They really see the best in the world and see everyone as equal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Boots is just like, of course they're going to want a tip too. Yeah, it's this idea of Boots being this model of purity throughout the books. And it's basically because she doesn't know any better. Like her... Mind has not yet been infected with societal expectations, so she's mm-hmm. just like this very pure being obsessed with everyone getting their their share, and ah, uh, it's the best. <laughs> As they eat, Gregor asks if the quest can go on without the help of the spinners. Henry expresses regret that they didn't just grab two on their way out, which is very Henry of him. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, we'll just kidnap some. Vicus reminds him that the prophecy says the spiders must assent, meaning they have to agree to come willingly. He says they might find some spinners being kept prisoner by the rats, who would agree to join them along the way. Here he says, I have often had good results with spinners. Which just goes to show the kind of person Vicus is, because, like, Vicus, we were just in prison, like... Your granddaughter literally
1: almost just died.
0: Literally almost died, and you're like, I often have good results. Like, you don't have to lie, man. (laughs) Vicus cracks me
1: up. Maybe he just genuinely thinks that, like, if he had handled everything, it would have been, like, totally fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Ugh. He's just so optimistic all the time. But I think that this line here is just so, like, almost insensitive. Like, you guys went through a whole ordeal, and you're out here being like, It'll be cool! I'm, <laughs> I'm best buzzed with the spinners. Like, this whole chapter didn't just happen. Anyway, Solovet reminds Vicus that he won't be there. And Gregor asks, Why not? Vicus reveals that he, Marith, and Solovet are flying home now because they're not mentioned in the quest. Luxa and Henry are as surprised by this as Gregor. He tries to convince the adults to stay, citing the fact that they don't know where they're going. Solovet says, You will manage. Henry and Luxa are well trained, and you show great resourcefulness. The narration says, She spoke simply and definitely. She was thinking of the war, of the bigger picture, not of them. Which is raw, because this is a great summary of Solovet's character. Basically, Solovet is going back to Regalia to help with the war efforts, because she's, like, the general or whatever. But she's willing to let these three scared kids go off alone for the sake of the bigger picture. Like, she's not thinking, like, wow, my grandchild is scared and needs my support. She's just thinking, like, the army needs my support, the war needs my support, And she's just willing to, like, tell these kids to their faces, like, you're not gonna have any help. Like, we're leaving. Which is very brutal of her to just be like, we're leaving you on your own. What happens from here on out is your responsibility. Like, yeah, it's really brutal. And I think that it sums up Solovet's character really well, that she's not concerned at all with individuals. She's just thinking about the bigger picture. Yeah, totally. Vicus assures Gregor that he's arranged for a guide to help them get through the Deadland. The kids ask, A guide? And a voice from the darkness interrupts Vicus before he can explain. Well, I prefer to think of myself as a legend, but I suppose guide will do. Iconic. Aha! Gregor shines his flashlight at the speaker, and it reveals a rat with a diagonal scar across his face the same rat Vikus knocked into the river earlier. At long last, the character we've all been waiting for. We're finally at the Rip Red part. We're finally at the end of Act 2, the quest. We're about to begin Act 3, the rat. It's everything. <laughs> everything happens in this last act. Like, the adults are leaving. Rip Red is here. We've only got nine chapters left to finish this whole quest, this whole prophecy. It's the best I love how this book like barely even like the whole first two acts are almost like exposition
1: Mm -hmm. like
0: yes the quest starts in act two but they're just like gathering forces during act two and then act three is like we have everyone in the quest like this is when we actually go into the rat's land
1: it's so good (laughs) (laughs) yeah the ending is so good
0: yeah really excited to have rip red here because he is the most iconic character in the entire series
1: i feel like he was one of the first of his kind in especially in like middle grade but like in y a mm. middle grade genres yeah like i mean he's the fr- i mean someone's gonna be like but what about blah 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 but i don't know like he's this character became really popular. Yeah. Afterwards, like especially in dystopian books and stuff, like the the very like snarky but super knowledgeable mentor figure that everyone kind of hates. I
0: know, right? He's very hateable cuz he's so brutal and kind of like hard on the main characters, but he's like such a realist.
1: Yeah, because, like, the other kind of, like, characters like this before were, like, not snarky and, like, funny.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking in one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, I talked about how this book really closely follows the hero's journey. And one of the big plot points in the hero's journey is the meeting of the mentor figure. And Vicus kind of fulfills that role in a lot of ways. But Rip Red is like the exact opposite of Vicus. Like Vicus is this really optimistic, like, Doesn't really want to give you the whole truth because it might upset you type of guy. And Rip Red is just like, honestly, he's more aligned with like Gregor, like rip the bandaid off. This is the brutal truth of the matter. And that's really admirable in a book like this when you just need to like know what's going on. Rip Red just like tells it to you straight. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about him more when we actually meet him for real. But yeah, this was an amazing pair of chapters, just their escape from the spinners we got some Luxa characterization. We've got some Solovet characterization. Even though it's just very subtle, Solovet becomes such an important character later. It's really interesting to look at these little clues that are being left in the first book.
1: Some special weapons. Yes!
0: The Rupier scene and Boots's tantrum. I wish I had a better word than iconic, but it <laughs> it's just like, it sticks with you. It really makes an impression. It's so well visualized. It would make such a good fucking movie.
1: <laughs> it feels like something that you should have thought of, but you never would have. You're like, yeah, of course, like he's gonna make his sister have a tantrum, but also you'd never think about that. Yeah. It's it, so creative. It's great because the whole
0: like past couple chapters is like her building toward mm-hmm. the tantrum.
1: Like the pressure in a can. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Boots is the root beer can.
0: (laughs) We figured it out. Oh my God. Well, Lily, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a blast. Before we sign off, I just want to give a big shout out to my friend Christina, who became our 30th YouTube subscriber last weekend. I also want to express my extreme appreciation for everyone who's messaged us asking to be a guest on the pod. I hope. Yeah, people have been reaching out. Yeah, I'm really excited. I hope to be getting back to everyone soon with more details on scheduling for book two. Next week, Nate and I will be discussing chapters 19 and 20. Follow us for updates on Instagram and Tumblr at return to regalia. And until next time, fly you high. Thank mm-hmm. you.